the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions. You know, you'd think after six and a half years of doing this, we'd have answered every single question. But if you still have questions, there's always new believers coming into the family of God and new people coming to the radio program. So whatever the question, no matter how simple it might be, we'll take the time to answer as best we are able. All you have to do is call us, dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Um, you need only to push one button. Call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Our main number one more time is area code 210-340-9585. Well, because it's Wednesday, I always remind you, Paula will be live in studio tomorrow. Ladies, it's a day that's set aside especially for you. I never know what's on Paula's heart until we start talking about it Thursday. So uh, she'll be here to answer your questions and maybe offer some encouragement. Uh, also, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, I'm going to be teaching Isaiah chapter 7, um, one of the most famous promises, um, prophecies uh, in our scriptures. Um, a virgin will be with child. Um, but this is a really practical one, not a particularly encouraging one, but a really, really practical Bible study for um, those of us who are New Testament believers. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com, or you can come and join us if you'd like to do that. Let me get to some questions. Before I do, uh, I do want to give you an update uh, on uh, a call that we had yesterday. Uh, I had somebody uh, yesterday asked the question about two preachers. One of them was Adrian Rogers, who is now with the Lord, and and um, um, I, I can't recommend him highly enough. The other was James McDonald. Well, James McDonald was fired today by his church. Uh, it's a pretty significant step. Um, Harvest Bible Chapel, uh, the name of his church in the Chicago area, uh, it's a huge church and been around a long time. His ministry, Walk in the Word, uh, has been on radio stations here in San Antonio uh, and all over the country. I talked about some of his problems yesterday. Well, today the news came out that he was fired by his uh, board of elders, board of directors today. Uh, and there is uh, a lot of information to be revealed. Let me say that. Uh, and and uh, I'll just add this one thing to it. In these last days, 
days where the world is pointing fingers at the church and making fun of us as Christians, days when people that we love and care about are living, dying, and going to hell. They want nothing to do with God. We who are in Christ, we need to be examples of Christ's likeness. And I think the closer we get to Jesus' return, I think the more quickly our sins are going to find us out. And in James McDonald's situation, too much is given, much is required. And if we're not living the life that we're preaching from the pulpit, well, then there's not going to be any power in our ministry. And this will be a very humiliating time for James. We should pray for him and his family. I have no doubt that he's a Christian, but he certainly hasn't been behaving as one. And I hope that's a direct word to all of us who say we're one thing publicly but live something else quite privately. There can be no power in our ministries in these last days if we're not the real deal. If we're there to entertain people, if we're there to satisfy our ego, if we're there to get rich, as some certainly are, James McDonald lived an exceptionally extravagant lifestyle. Your sins are going to be shouted from the rooftops. And that's what's happening. But it's not just famous people, public people. It's people like you and people like me. So let's be serious about our walk with Jesus Christ. It gives nobody any pleasure when Christian leaders fall. It doesn't give anybody any pleasure when Christian homes are ripped apart by sin and divorce. Those of us who have secret, we think secret things going on that nobody knows about. God always knows and He's the one who will reveal them. And as is the case with our Bible study tonight in Isaiah chapter 7, the wicked King Ahaz is going to be given by God through the prophet Isaiah the opportunity to avoid all of the horrible, horrible things that are going to happen to him. And he just refuses to listen. So, um... I guess that's enough on James McDonald. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Philip. He says, do you think Christians should join in ministry outreach with oneness believers? Uh, Philip, the answer is uh, a resounding no. Um, that, that's like serving with, with people offering strange fire. Oneness believers, for those of you who don't know, they're called Unitarians, or not Unitarians, but the Unity Church or the, the, the United Pentecostal Church or Jesus-only churches. Uh, they have a heretical view of Jesus Christ, of the Godhead. And so they're not really believers at all. Now, I want to be sure you understand that there's a bunch of people in oneness churches because the name of Jesus is mentioned over and over and over and over uh, that, that don't really know what the church teaches, what the church believes. Now, that's on the people in the pews. But they are sincerely believing that they're hearing about Jesus Christ. So not everybody in the oneness Pentecostal church uh, are, are, are doomed. But certainly the leaders are. Now, there's some really famous guys. I won't go through some of the names now, but there's some really famous, really popular preachers who are oneness in nature. And they simply, Philip, had the wrong Jesus. And so if we give credibility to them by joining with them in ministry outreach, then we're walking in the darkness. Now, our hearts might be right, doesn't mean we're going to forfeit our salvation. But how we represent the real Jesus matters a great deal. And I simply don't have any reason to expect that we should unite with 
those who have heretical views of our Jesus in any type of ministry. Ministry has to be unto the Lord. It has to be empowered by the Lord. And when we start compromising just for the sake of a cause, I know Christians who've sort of, in terms of ministry, gotten into bed with Mormons because, well, they're pro-life, we're pro-life. We need to be pro-Jesus. And the rest will take care of itself. So, Philip, I really don't believe that we should. And uh, I can tell you only for sure that we here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio will not. Here's a question from Eddie. Eddie, I like this question. You said, why would Paul force Timothy to be circumcised? Um, first of all, Eddie, Paul didn't force him to. He gave Timothy, remember Timothy's a young man, but he's a man. He gave Timothy the option. Now, why would he do it? Paul says, to the Jew, I became a Jew to win Jews. We need to understand that. If we understand that, that's Paul's motivation. Timothy was half Jewish. He would have been considered in a pagan world to be a Jew. His mother was a Jewess. His grandmother was a Jewess. And Paul, because his ministry was always focused on winning Jews to Christ, Timothy was going to be with him. If Timothy's ministry was going to be successful, to have any chance at all of succeeding, then Timothy would need to be circumcised. They would know that Timothy was at least half Gentile, and they would consider him uncircumcised, and they wouldn't listen to a word he said. So Timothy didn't do it because he had to for salvation. He was already saved. He didn't do it because Paul ordered him to. He did it because he wanted to expand his ministry. Now, this is something that we all need to consider. Whatever we need to do to empower our ministry, to expand our ministry, as Christians, we need to be willing to do that. We make personal sacrifices for the sake, for the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing that Timothy was doing. He wanted his ministry to have power. He wanted his ministry to have extended reach. And to do that, it required that personal sacrifice. Now, as an adult, that's a big sacrifice. I was actually in the hospital for, um, I think, eight days or something like that. Long, 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 long time ago. Long before I was ever saved and uh, while I was still in college, in fact. And um, um, my roommate at North Hollywood Community Hospital was a man who was being physically circumcised for medical reasons. Believe me, the pain he was in was overwhelming. Timothy made a personal sacrifice. Uh, Eddie, just on a, on a semi-related note, uh, we've got pastors here at Calvary Chapel who have tattoos, and, and um, I'm not pro or anti-tattoo. It's between them and the Lord. But what I have told them is that the more tattoos they get, the larger the number of people is that they are unable to minister to. People won't hear their message. It shouldn't be that way, but that's just human nature. And so I tell them to consider that prayerfully before they get any more tattoos. And it's that kind of a sacrifice that was being asked for. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to Bernie, Texas now and talk with Jared on line one. Jared, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I have a question for you. I was talking to my sister the other day, and we were talking about uh, Genesis and Noah. Uh, Noah and uh, Enoch came up, um, and we. My sister was asking me if I've ever. And I know Enoch's not part of the canon and asked me if I've ever read the book of Enoch. And I hadn't and because uh, we were talking about the Nephilim. And I just want your take on the book of Enoch. Is it even worthwhile to, to read? Um, historical, what's your just overall view? I mean, I did read it and I found a lot of interest in it just Mm-hmm. It gave me a perspective of the evil that was going on uh, in, in that time of Noah, and I just I just wanted to get your take on, on it. I figured you would 
probably have some insight. Thank you, Jared. Appreciate it very much, and thanks for calling. Uh, a couple of things: um, um, the, the 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 extra canonical books, um, those who purport. Um, um, from a New Testament perspective even, to tell the story of Jesus, uh, the Gospel of Barnabas, the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Thomas, and, and, and many others. They all have some historical value. Uh, we have to be really careful reading them, and the Book of Enoch is one of those, because there are things in the Book of Enoch, in fact, the, the apocryphal books are, are books that um, were included um, by the Roman Catholic Church in its canon of Scripture um, to justify uh, aberrant doctrinal positions. So we'd be really, really careful. And, and if you're a discerning guy, and Jared, it's clear that you are, uh, if you're a discerning reader, uh, then they, it's like reading a, 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 a historical perspective and there is some value in it, and there is some interesting things in there. We know that there are some um, non-canonical books that are referenced in in our New Testament, um, but we just have to be careful not to ascribe to them anywhere near the authority of the books that we know make up our 66 books of the Bible. And if we understand that, then there's great value. The, my experience is, unless somebody's a pretty serious student, uh, they don't understand it. And because those books appear in some Bible or those books uh, are, are quoted by critics to point out inconsistencies uh, and contradictions, um, you know, they, they start questioning not just the veracity of those books, but the veracity of the entirety of the Bible. So uh, if we understand that those are books written by men. If we check those books out, if we use the Bible sort of as a plumb line uh, to determining what's true in those books and what isn't true in those books, uh, if we also, especially with the book of Enoch, uh, if we look at those books um, and compare with other known historical documents or writings that we have, then they can become extremely um, interesting and of some value in in our study and appreciation. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Uh, I personally think that the um, the sort of serious student uh, can get the same information from some really, really great commentators that are out there in, in, uh, as it relates to all the books, especially in the book of Genesis. Um, but beyond that, Jarrett, I just tell people to be really, really careful. Be discerning. Uh, and if it interests you, and it, it does, don't let it get you carried away. You can spend way too much time away from the Bible and on to things that aren't uh, as fruitful or as valuable. Uh, but if you like it, I'm a, I'm a student. I like reading, and and uh, I would say go for it. Thank you, Jared. I appreciate the question. Very, very well thought out. Here is a question from Andy. He's 10 years old. He says, does God want us to be happy? Uh, Andy, God would love it if you were happy, but that's not his priority. His priority is that we are obedient, and then when he promises us that in our obedience we will be filled with joy, that's really what God wants. Now, Andy, you're 10 years old. Here's the difference between happiness and being filled with joy. Happiness comes and goes depending on circumstances, depending on how you feel, depending on uh, what's going on in your life. Joy never leaves. Joy never leaves. And if we are obedient to the Lord, then we're promised this abundant, joy-filled life, and we can be joyful even when bad things happen. So God is much more concerned with us being obedient and faithful than he is about being happy. The great thing about happiness is that when we're with Jesus, we will be happy. That's what we were born to do. And uh, so, Andy, I hope that helps. Um, I hope you're happy, but more than important, I hope you're joyful. And as you grow up, I hope you're obedient to God. 340-9585. Here is a question from Evelyn. 
Um, in Matthew 6, does Jesus mean we have to pray or he will lead us into temptation? Matthew 6, Evelyn, talking about the Lord's model for prayer. It's wrongly called the Lord's Prayer, but it's the, that moment when um, Jesus' disciples, seeing the power of prayer and the, the value of prayer in his life, asked Jesus, teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us to do miracles, teach us to cast out demons, teach us to pray. That says a lot about Jesus' habit of being alone and going and being with his Father in prayer. Now, when he gives us this model for prayer, it's sort of an outline prayer. And the reference that you're um, uh, bringing up here is um, where Jesus would pray like this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if if what he means there is um, that if we're following Jesus, Evelyn, we won't be led into temptation. The way I explain it to our church here is if uh, you're standing at, at a, at a, uh, on a street and you're looking forward, and to your right is evil, and to your left is good, then following Jesus, you'll go in the opposite direction of evil, and since you'll be walking with the one who is good, you'll be walking into good. So that's what he means. Lead us not into temptation. doesn't mean that Jesus ever tempts us. We cannot be tempted by God. James says that very clearly. Uh, God doesn't tempt us. Um, the thing that we have to remember is that, that Jesus is, we call him Lord. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I call them by name and they follow me. So if we're following Jesus, we're going to be going in the opposite direction of temptation. By the way, Evelyn, that's something really, really practical that we can remember when we are being tempted um, uh, by something in this world. The, the enemy is always going to be there. Our flesh is going to be tempted to do things. If we'll remember in that time of temptation to follow Jesus, then we will walk in the opposite direction of the temptation pretty soon. You and Jesus will be far from the place where temptation is. That's the way that we can escape um, giving in to the things that tempt us. So Jesus doesn't mean that we have to pray or he will lead us into temptation. Jesus said, if you're with me, we'll be going in the opposite direction of temptation. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. I think we're inside about four minutes now for the program, or for the first half of the program anyway. Ben says, uh, Pastor Ron, Revelation 3, 5 indicates that we can lose our salvation. What do we have to do to lose it? Ben, I get asked this question uh, in different forms uh, a couple of times a year. And I say the same thing every time. There's nothing in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5 that indicates that we can lose our salvation. In fact, just the opposite is true. This is one of the great assurance of our salvation verses in all of the Bible. Let me read it. This is Jesus talking. It says, He who overcomes, like them, will be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. Now, here's the problem, Ben. We read, I will never blot out his name from the book. But we automatically assume, well, then there must be times when he does blot people out of the book. But it doesn't say that. So don't impose on the scripture what makes sense to you. Just read what it says. The overcomer. Who is it that overcomes? First John 5, 5. Only he or she that believes that Jesus is the Christ. If you're that kind of an overcomer, your name will never be blotted out from the book of life. Think about that. Where is the you can lose your salvation in that. When I read that the first time, all I could think about was, Jesus, thank you. You're the one who's faithful even when I'm faithless. When the enemy would try to lie to me in those early days walking with the Lord, oh, God doesn't couldn't save you, all the terrible things you've done. If I failed, oh, boy, did the devil heap condemnation on me. But I read this, and I actually believed it very, very early in my Christian walk. And all I could think was, wow, my name is in that book. And there's no way in the world that it can possibly be removed. And when we understand our security, Ben, 
then it changes the way we live. It changes the way we relate to the Lord. It changes how we view Him, how we view our role serving Him. And it's great motivation to walk with and for Jesus every day. Why? Because my name is in that book. Metaphorically, we would say it's chiseled in stone, but it's better than that. It was written by the finger of God. So, Ben, enjoy the fact that God wants you to feel secure. The Christian who thinks, well, I think I lost my salvation. What am I going to do now? That distresses our Lord's heart. He who overcomes... This is the writer John recording Jesus' words. That same writer. 1 John 5, 5. Never forget it. Who is it that overcomes? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Christ. And if that describes you, Ben, your name will never be blotted out from the book of life. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. It's a Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. You're listening to the Word Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the program 30 minutes left 340-9585 here is a question from uh sandra or sandra and i never know how to pronounce that because we have both a sandra and a sandra in our church. Let me go one better. We have a Sandra in our church as well. Well, this Sandra or Sandra's question is, how can we best approach Catholics with the gospel? Um, Sandra, I think the Catholics are a very fertile mission field for us. Uh, you know, we go to uh, somebody who is a, a, an atheist and talk to them about God. They look at us like we're crazy. Uh, if you talk to somebody who's in a cult like a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, uh, and their view of Jesus is so warped. Catholics understand, have the same Jesus. The same Father, same Son, same Holy Spirit. Now, they have got some doctrinal problems with their views of the persons of the Godhead, for sure. But they've got the Jesus that can save. So let me tell you, Sandra, how Paula does it. Because she's really, really effective when somebody tells her, oh, I'm Catholic, or I was born Catholic, I'm going to die Catholic, Paula will say, well, when were you born again? Now, that's the important one, Sandra, because Jesus said nobody's going to go to heaven except they be born again. And Catholics, of course, teach that infant baptism deals with the issue of being born again. How they believe that, I'll never understand that we can force a child who has no say-so in the matter to receive Jesus Christ or to wash away original sin and, and be, be by the sprinkling of water born again. Um, so when we talk to Catholics about that, we talk to them about Jesus talking to Nicodemus, the most religious man in Jerusalem, the, the definite article teacher of Israel, this is a man who, like Catholics, they would say, no, I'm a very religious man. Jesus said, but you must be born again. And so that's the way we approach dealing with Catholics. And sometimes it angers them. Um, but you know what I found over and over and over, Sandra? I found that the Holy Spirit just never lets go of that. They'll keep asking the question. And many of them, will turn to Jesus. Now, they leave the Catholic Church when they get saved because they recognize or they will recognize the Spirit leads them away from that which is false. Understand there are some Catholics who are born again and saved. Not many, but some. But I think that's the best way to approach them. If I 
and I've done this before in our church, Sandra, but if I were to on Sunday, um, and I, I, I did it when I was teaching John chapter 3, but if I were to, to say Sunday to our church, okay, everybody uh, who comes from a Catholic background, would you please raise your hand? Um, the response in our church would be more than 9 out of every 10. More than 90%. And yet the Holy Spirit worked in their lives, in their hearts, and in their minds and delivered them from what we consider to be a false gospel. They get saved, born again, baptized of their own free will this time, and are living exceedingly fruitful lives for Jesus. So, I hope that helps. Here's a question from Angela. She said, Pastor Ron, what is the unforgivable sin? Um, there's only one, Angela. It's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that is the sin of rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and dying in that condition. When I say rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit unto death, that's what I mean. You die in a state of unbelief. That is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, the reason Jesus said that, that, that the only unforgivable sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, is because he also taught that when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. In other words, you'll know that you're a sinner. You'll know that there's judgment that awaits sinners, and that the righteousness part of it, the only way to get right with God, is to let Jesus give you his righteousness. And when you tell people about Jesus, and the more they reject uh, the gospel message, the harder and harder their hearts become. Well, when that happens, uh, Angela, if they die in that condition, they have blasphemed the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it's not a carnal sin like we think about, well, if I do this thing or I've broken the same promise or I struggle with this substance, whatever it is, none of that is unforgivable. The only sin that's unforgivable is dying having said no to the Holy Spirit's invitation to believe Jesus Christ. In other words, you've got to make the choice in this life about where you're going to spend eternity. And if you're going to spend eternity with Jesus, you've got to be born again in this life. If you refuse to be born again in this life, then you have chosen to go to hell. And that's a sin that has no remedy. And the reason there's no remedy is because you're not alive to receive Christ. By the way, Angela, it's one of the reasons people, we get questions here about putting people out of their misery, you know, if they're suffering euthanasia, mercy killing, it's called to. Um, as long as people have breath in their bodies, as long as they have brain function and heart function, there's still the opportunity for them to receive Christ. And to put an unbeliever out of his misery or her misery because you don't want to see them suffer any longer is only opening the door to suffering that's unthinkable. Now, I realize when I say things like that, people think I'm being mean or harsh. But like most of you, I've lost people that I care deeply about who I know are not in heaven. And there's nothing now that I can do about it. And that's why I insist on telling people about Jesus, whether they want to hear about him or not. It's one of the reasons hospital ministry is so liberating. Because you know there's a time schedule in many instances, and you're up against that deadline when they're no longer going to be able to receive Christ. So we tell them, and we tell them, and we tell them. And I I think hospitals and deathbeds, hospice situations, are some of the most fruitful ministry situations. opportunities ever. By the way, another one is nursing homes. Uh, We've just started uh, with a a man and his wife, Matt and Lauren, uh, who have just started uh, a nursing home ministry Bible study on Sunday afternoons and maybe it'll evolve into a a weekday Bible study as well. But um, imagine the satisfaction of literally being with people in their last days. 
Paula and I had a nursing home ministry before I ever went to Bible college. It was the first thing that Paula and I did together in our service for the Lord. And not only did we meet wonderful people, but over and over and over, we watched people receive Jesus Christ only days or sometimes hours or minutes before they went to be with him. And that's a really, really fruitful ministry. So I hope that answers your question. Ted wants to know, he says, I have visited many websites that condemn male-only leadership in churches. Some even recommend leaving a church if it will not have a female pastor. Can I have your thoughts? Uh, Ted, for my first thought, and this is just obvious to me, uh, stay away from the websites. Um, I'm not trying to censor what you read, um, but, but male headship is evident in our Bibles from Genesis to Revelation. And we don't need to go to a website, somebody's got an axe to grind, because they think that we're being discriminatory, or we, we're not treating women with respect, because Jesus says that pastors and churches need to be men. So your answer is simple. It's not our call. We have some women Bible teachers at our church. Now, they teach women and they counsel. But we've got some women teachers who are far better teachers than I am. They're smarter than I am, some of them. Uh, And they're very effective in their ministry. But because they are real Bible teachers, not one of them would want to be a pastor in this church. And I am aware of some of the websites that you're talking about, uh, the egalitarian perspective, the, the egalitarian view has become more and more popular along with, with um, th- this demand for equal rights among women. You see, we don't own the church. Jesus does. He's the head of the church. And that means he's the one that gets to make the rules. So if somebody recommends leaving a church because they want a female pastor, they're saying you should leave a church that's teaching the Bible. I would say just the opposite. If you're in a church that has a female pastor, you need to leave that church because you're settling for less than God's best. You're, you're not enjoying the fullness that God would have for you. I would also say that any um, church that has a woman pastor only doesn't have a pastor. not condemning their souls. I had the question yesterday about if somebody's a woman, a pastor, are they going to go to heaven or hell? Uh, They're saved. Um, God, because he loves people, is going to produce some fruit through them. But they're usurping the authority that God gave to another. You know, every time, Ted, that I get this question, I always think of the Garden of Eden. When God said to Adam and to Eve, I've given you every tree. Every tree is yours. You can eat from it. You can do whatever you want with it. But there's one tree in the garden, just one tree that you can't eat. Because if you eat of that tree, surely you will die. One tree. Imagine how beautiful and how full and rich and plush the Garden of Eden was. We can't even imagine it. And yet all they could see, they had eyes, Eve especially at the beginning, had eyes only for that one tree. And there was the devil, that old serpent. Did God really say? Well, the websites that you're listening to are did God really say websites. And they can try to explain it away as they want to. But the reality is every time the role of pastor is mentioned, it's masculine. The references to their spouses are always feminine. Must be the husband of one wife. You cannot be the husband of one wife if you are a wife. There's an explanation given in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that's foundational. The explanation goes back to Genesis. That's how we know hermeneutically that that um, this is a rule laid down. Paul says, in fact, this is the rule I lay down in all my churches. Why? Because Eve was deceived. 
and there's a fall. Eve was deceived. She gave to her husband and he ate. He ate willfully. So in a perfect world, and then that perfect world was gone in the Garden of Eden, Ted, there would be no role distinction. But this is a result of the curse. Just like having pain in childbearing. It's a curse. And the only way to deal with the curse is to die. Die to self. And the women who want to be the pastor of a church, and they will claim loudly that they're called by God. They, they know they're called by God to be the pastor. Um, they can't even handle the Bible well enough to understand the simplest directive. I do not permit a woman to teach her authority over men. There's no way you can exegete that passage and come out with, except for this or except for that. Or God didn't really mean that. And the reason I say that people in churches like that are getting ripped off is because they've already torn that page out of their Bible. What other pages are they going to tear out of their Bible? So, Ted, that's my answer. Randy says, God knows everything. Yet Jesus says only his Father knows the hour of his return. Doesn't that mean that Jesus is not God? Randy, uh, when Jesus said that, remember now, um, when are these things going to happen? Well, no one knows the hour, not even the Son. He was in his human body. He was God, but he was in his human body. That information was hidden from him. It's not that he didn't know, but in his incarnation, he emptied himself of his deity. He walked fully as a human for the 33-plus years he lived on this earth. And as he walked through this world, he says, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. He didn't have independent thoughts, so to ask Jesus that question, nobody knows. Now, here's the, the distinction we have to make. When he became... Um, the crucified and risen Christ, and he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. That, that's the, the power seat. The right hand is the power seat. Well, obviously he now knows because he's again fully God and he now knows nothing is hidden from him because he's in that place in heaven. But while here he didn't know. Randy, we're in the last days. That's all we need to know. And we need to serve as though he's coming now. But Jesus now knows exactly the time. And personally, Randy, I think he's getting restless. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha. 340-9585. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, In looking for a spouse, how do I know who is the one? And in parentheses, um, writes, only one God has for me. Uh, Anonymous, I've answered this question um, a few times in the past as well. I don't think there's only one person that we can fall in love with. The idea of a soulmate, while it's romantic and it's attractive and it kind of puts us on a treasure hunt through life, uh, there's a lot of people that we can fall in love with. Just a lot of people. Um, in my case, um, all those Many years ago, do you believe it? Next month, it will be 49 years for me and Paula since since I first laid eyes on her. And we fell in love in an instant. And we did that as unbelievers. Now, I wasn't really looking for a spouse, but when I saw her, I knew. But the idea of just one, I don't think is biblical. Now, God knows which one you're going to pick. That's for sure, because God knows everything. But it's not that God singled out only one for you. God simply knew what you were going to do. God simply knew who you're going to marry. So you say, well, how do I know if I married the right one? Here's what the Bible teaches. The one you're married to is the right one. And honor him or her by being the best husband or the best wife you could possibly be. So, don't let the enemy cause all kinds of second thoughts and doubts. How do I know I picked the right one? The one you're married to. 
Anonymous is the right one. 340-9585. We've got time for a couple. Uh, how much time? About, uh, about five, okay. Um, Jenny wants to know, is the social justice gospel biblical? Um, no, it's not, Jenny, not the way it's presented. You know, we have a tendency as humans, um, we have to do something. We have to fix something. And the, the one thing that the gospel relieves us from the pressure of is having to fix anything. We're messengers. Here's an illustration that I I use many, many times in in our church. Um, I I was a journalism major in college. I'm a a newspaper junkie. Now that my vision is gone, I can't read uh, like I used to. Uh, The printing is way too small. I don't get a paper anymore. But but I would get a couple of papers delivered to the house uh, every day and, and other opportunities to pick up other newspapers. I always read it. Um, but but the illustration is is the the newspaper carrier who either on a bike or in a car throws a paper at your your house every day. All the years I had newspapers delivered, I never one time had the carrier come knock on my door. And I opened it and said, hello, can I help you? And he said, well, I'm your newspaper carrier. And I want to be sure that after all the trouble I took to deliver the paper to your door, that you read it today. I'm going to give you a test on the paper. He never did that. Why? Because his job was just to throw the paper. Well, as Christians, our job is just to share the gospel. It, Paul says, is the power of God unto salvation. The social justice gospel, Jenny, is sort of a convenient answer. Here's how you can help God out. We've got to free those who are caught in sex trafficking. We've got to free those who are being oppressed. We've got to free those who who are um, the objects of inequality. And it makes us feel good. Have you ever thought, Jenny, about Christmas time as a pastor, I always get people who come up and say around Christmas time, Pastor, do you know anybody who needs some toys? Do you know any families in need or or in need of food? Uh, because we want to do it. it makes us feel good to give. Well, why why don't you give all year if it makes you feel good to give? You see, as we promote the gospel, as people's hearts change and, and people get saved, then the reality, Jenny, is that we're introducing them to the one, the only one who can fix things. We can't do anything about poverty, you or me, but we can tell them about Jesus. We can't do anything about sex trafficking, but we can share the gospel with people who are hurting and in pain. This need we humans have to fix things, I've got to do something, is evil at its core. And again, the pressure that we put on ourselves is enormous. And the freedom from that pressure is so liberating. You know, when Paul was sharing the gospel with a man named Onesimus, Onesimus was the slave of a a man named Philemon. And in Colossae, where Philemon lived, Paul shared the gospel and Philemon believed. Later, as a prisoner in Rome, there was a runaway slave from Colossae named Onesimus. And he heard Paul share the gospel, and he got saved. And then what God did was bring those two back together. He reconciled them. And Philemon was no longer the offended party, but was the opportunity given to him to be just like Jesus. And Paul facilitated that. Paul facilitated that. And all you have to do is be used by the Lord. Now, should we be compassionate with those who are poor? Of course. Should we take every opportunity to do good as it presents itself? Of course we should. 
But we also need to recognize our limits. I know a lot of people, especially in this internet age, internet age, internet age people sitting around blogging all day and making these bold statements of what the church should be, what the church should be doing. The one thing that they need to do is be who Jesus told them to be. It's easy to type on a keyboard and outcry against the wrongs of this world. But the answer is Jesus. The answer is not me forming a committee. The answer is me going out and loving people enough to tell them the truth about Jesus Christ and at the same time being loving and empathetic toward them. Helping those that I'm able to help. You know, I hear so much from Christians about the homeless problem. Well, we can't even solve the homeless problem. Why are we worried about other things? The homeless problem is never going to be solved. So here's how we can solve it when you run into a homeless person. Share Jesus with them. Sit down and eat with them. Buy the, buy the dinner. Buy the lunch. And when they reject you or when they go on and you haven't fixed their homelessness, you've given them a cup of water. Jesus said you've done it in his name. You've done it to him. That's what we need to, to realize, Jenny. The social justice gospel is not Jesus Christ who lived, who died, and who rose from the dead. That's the gospel. We don't need to include social justice. We have the gospel of life, the gospel of freedom. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. <clears throat> we have tomorrow. Paul will be live in studio on the date day edition of the program. We encourage you to tune in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll be teaching Isaiah chapter 7 tonight. Have a great week in Christ. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.